hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Hey there, welcome back, folks, to the third part of our three-part series on technology and money. Two weeks ago, we took a deep dive into what is blockchain with Kai Graydon. Then last week, we introduced you to Joe DePasquale when we talked about cryptocurrencies. And this week, we're completing the run by talking about NFTs. Now, you may be familiar with NFTs because of the hype recently around digital art, like people's first 5,000 days selling for over $69 million. Or maybe the NBA's recent foray into NFTs by selling short video clips of top shots from basketball games. These have been selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or maybe Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, he sold his first tweet for over $2 million. So today we're joined by a queer artist that is out at the forefront in the use of NFTs for digital art in the queer community. Julian Pena is an artist and gallery owner in the Capitol Hill neighborhood in Seattle. He often draws from anime content, fantasy narratives, video game aesthetic culture, and Japanese art history as his source of inspiration. So between art and technology, Julian is deep in the weeds with NFTs and a perfect resource for this Queer Money episode. Let's chat with Julian about NFTs. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Well, welcome to the Queer Money Podcast, Julian Pena. It's uh, great to have you here. Thank you, John. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really excited to have some good conversations about NFTs. Yeah, exactly. You know, before we dive into <laughs> what's an NFT and how are they used and all that, Maybe you could share with us just a little bit about your background as an artist, as a queer artist, and how you kind of got to this place where all of a sudden you're mixing technology that's on the cutting edge with your art. <laughs> yeah, you know, like all my life as an artist or as a creative, I've always been interested in the tech side of things, you know, and it's not until the past couple of years that I really delve into it. And so, you know, I started my career in art through UW, University of Washington in Seattle, and, uh, you know, got my, got my painting and drawing degree there. From then on, I started to participate in uh, a lot of events, like, you know, not only gallery shows, of course, but curating other shows, going to art events, you know, in the community. And uh, there was a community building aspect to it that really attracted me at that, that time. And so from there, you know, that's where I got connected with the tech community of Seattle. Um, and this is a couple of years ago when VR, AR, you know, like virtual reality, augmented reality, all that stuff was starting to become mainstream. And um, this is around like maybe like 2015. Uh, I used to facilitate these 48 hour cinematic VR challenges, you know, where people go in, they have 48 hours to get together, break up in teams and create like a, a film, like a five minute film in virtual reality. And so from there, that's when I that's when my interest in uh, tech 
and utilizing that for art uh, sparked basically. You know, I started playing with virtual reality apps such as uh, Tilt Brush and Quill, where you kind of paint in virtual reality. And so from then on, you know, I, I uh, developed my graphic design portfolio and started to work for companies doing graphic design work. Again, you know, using technology, you know, softwares and such like Photoshop and all that to to deliver these uh, assets to the companies. Um, and that's when I started to um, think about how digital art in the fine art space could thrive. And this is before I even knew about NFTs. You know, I've always loved digital art. I've always felt like it should be elevated to a fine art level, which, you know, it has been done before, but not in the way that I'd like to see it. And so with that said, you know, I started hearing about NFTs like earlier this year and um, it's really exciting. You know, there's a lot of things to learn about from it. That alone, the concept of not knowing what it is uh, got me excited. And so, you know, I joined a couple communities uh, in regards to NFTs, learned about it, took the time to really understand what they are because i mean it, it did take there was a bit of a learning curve for sure but that's when i started to explore basically using digital art as the medium and you know um authenticating it on this blockchain <laughs> you know and making it like as if it's like a unique one-of-a-kind painting and so that's basically kind of my history i guess uh, my road to nft art Nice. Interesting. He's already using big words like blockchain. Yeah. Right. Not, I, I think non-fungible is coming around the corner. <laughs> right. It, well, it is. I, and just a, a reminder, folks, uh, remember when we had Kai Graydon on and we talked about blockchain and how it kind of has so many different uses beyond cri- cryptocurrency or crypto assets, as uh, Joe D. Pasquale <laughs> mentioned to us last week, that mm. on, the, on the blockchain, it really kind of builds this really secure way of determining ownership that is checked by the masses, right? It's checked by the huge number of computers mm-hmm. out there that are all doing these ledger transactions. So I'm, I don't want to go too deep into this because we talked about it last week and the week before that, but there is this word <laughs> that we haven't covered yet because it hasn't been a part of this the this technology discussion, but it's specific to NFTs. And that's where the N and the F come from, right? So non-fungible. Mm-hmm. Non-fungible token. <laughs> what does that mean? What is non-fungible? <laughs> Funny you ask that because I remember getting into NFTs and I'm like asking myself the same exact question. So fungible describes something that can be replaced by another identical item or like a mutually interchangeable item. And so, for example, like a dollar bill is fungible, quote unquote. And you can give me four quarters, which equals the same value for this dollar bill. And so, um, and that would be like the physical example. A digital example would be like Bitcoins, basically. Um, so they're, they're fungible in terms of like uh, being tradable for uh, equal value. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it means, you know, and token, the, the word token itself is kind of like the way I read and learned about what they are is uh, kind of like a ticket to something, access to something. Oh. Um, and with that said, you know, I think it's interesting how different companies, organizations, and artists are utilizing that idea uh, in many different ways with NFTs. So basically what we're saying here when we say something is non-fungible and is a token is that there's access to something that can't really be traded with something that's exactly like it, 
right? Yes, so, exactly. It's one of a kind. Right. So if you have a dollar bill and I have a dollar bill, we can trade those because we all have this kind of quote unquote agreement that they're worth exactly the same thing. Whereas the piece of art or the digital asset, whatever the, it, it is, we're going to talk about all the different types of, of NFTs, but um, <laughs> it, it just basically means there isn't anything that is like it that we can, you and I can trade back and forth. So at their simplest, yep. then what are NFTs? If we're kind of looking at this whole umbrella, what are NFTs? So you can kind of look at it as... Um Here's an example, actually. So like uh, famous works of art, you know, like uh, the Vermeer's uh, Girl with the Pearl Earring or, you know, Da Vinci's uh, The Mona Lisa uh, would be considered non-fungible, right? Because it's one of a kind. Uh, it is physical. NFTs are digital assets that are just unique to one artist or artist group. And so um, you can kind of look at it. I mean, technically with NFTs, you could actually, uh, you know, sell them as like a physical entity as well, you know, along with whatever digital assets that come along with it. But generally, it is something that's just a, a unique digital asset that is recorded on a blockchain. And therefore, it has an inherent uh, certificate of authenticity, as if you were buying a painting and you received one of those certificates uh, authenticating that particular item or product and proving that it belonged, it came from this one artist or artist group. I, I, I'm glad you put that out there because I think that in this case, analogies, and that actually was going to be a part of my next question. So you answered my next question. This this analogy oh, of, cool. okay. of what we're really used to or familiar with, right? We understand things yeah. like paintings or baseball cards or things that people might be used to seeing go back and forth and people buying that are kind of, quote unquote, one of, the, one of a kind. Oh, baseball cards aren't always one of a kind. But the yeah. more scarce they are, the more valuable they are, right? So... Exactly. In this case, with NFTs, you're really looking at that scarcity of most likely just one, right? This is the only one of these that you have. Exactly. And you know, the cool thing about the scarcity aspect of NFTs is that the artist or artist group or whoever is creating this, these NFTs, they have complete agency on uh, how scarce it can be, you know, and so they, they have that full control I just feel like NFTs give a different range of control compared to art making or making music or anything like that. So yeah, it's really interesting to think about. So when you say that, are you mean, do you mean that you can choose to say that there's only one of these that are available or I can choose to say that there are maybe five of these that are available that can be used and traded? Exactly. Yeah. So mm. it could be like limited edition prints. Right. That's what I was thinking. You, know, you could have like... Yeah, you can have like maybe five out of five editions uh, compared to maybe, who knows, like a hundred. So, you know, the artists have that agency to be able to dictate how scarce it is and potentially influencing the popularity of whatever they're selling in terms of NFTs. Gotcha. That's not something I'd seen in our research. It's interesting to know. And I do love that concept. And I can I can see I, we're going to go down the path of how NFTs benefit artists. I can. It's becoming more and more apparent the more we talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is uh, this idea of scarcity is something that I think a lot of folks are familiar with the effects of, especially when yeah. it comes to things like food shortages or gas shortages or 
Uh, toilet paper shortages. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, lumber, I mean, right now the, in the United States, there's this whole rise in price, home prices, partly because of the lumber shortage. Right. So I think we're we're familiar yeah. with the kind of some of the negative effects, but it almost sounds like here now artists are able to somewhat manufacture this scarcity themselves for their benefit. Exactly. And, you know, I think the the benefits extend to the buyers themselves, because, I mean, if you were in the shoes of a collector, uh, whether you collect just regular paintings, NFTs or both, you know, you're you're seeking something that's unique. You're seeking something that's special and it calls out to you. And the more scarce it is, knowing that it's really, really scarce, the more it's like sought after. And so there's a certain level of excitement that the buyers experience when they're shopping for NFTs. And knowing the fact that there's only one, right. <laughs> you know, I must get it. It's kind of like the Pokemon card thing. You right. Know? <laughs> I'm going to date myself here, but when you, talk, when you said that, you explained all that, it reminded me of Romancing the Stone. <laughs> oh, you aged yourself big time right there. <laughs> hey, it's a good movie. Everybody who's listening should watch that. <laughs> so, you know, in the outset, in the introduction, I mentioned, I talked about Beeple's first 5,000 days selling for $69 million. So this is a a piece of digital art that sold for $69 million. I mean, that's just an astronomical (laughs) amount of money for a picture, a JPEG or a PNG (laughs) or whatever the file is called. Right. Well, and I guess that's really, that's not the thing, right? They didn't actually get the file they're buying a record of them being the owner of what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Maybe you can tell me that. It's you know, it's it's kind of like uh, giving buyers a uh, bragging rights in a way. You're almost it's almost like you're selling bragging rights. Uh, you can kind of look at it that way too. You know, not only buyers see value in art because of because of art, right? There's uh, economical reasons why they might want to chase down this really unique nft it's almost like i don't want to use the term game or anything but you know like oftentimes these nfts when they're sold they're resold right for a higher value right you know and so um there's this like whole thing where not only the artists are controlling scarcity but because of how the buyers respond to that nft and that scarcity and their behaviors such as reselling these things the more that happens the more that people will see in this history because it is recorded on the blockchain they'll see that, oh my goodness, like this thing is being sold left and right. I better check this out. <laughs> you know, kind of increasing, not the scarcity, but the value of the NFT itself. Right, right. It, it, you know, I, I kind of think about the art world, the physical art world, where this kind of, you kind of see this this play out where an artist has their art out there and then all of a sudden someone values one piece of their art really high, right? So maybe they've been selling their work mm-hmm. for five or $10,000 a piece, but all of a sudden one of their pieces shows up in a particular exhibit or in a particular showing and somebody buys it for $500,000, right? Then kind of sets off this belief system or this kind of value system to people triggers this value system to people that this artist has something that's worth even more and that can then have a downstream Mm -hmm. effect to some of their other art right 
Exactly. Yep. And it's the same with NFTs too, you know, like uh, when an artist sells that painting for like, I don't know, like $50,000 when they normally sold paintings for a thousand, then, you know, at that point, they're able to raise the value of the other artworks because they're kind of recorded in history in a way, public publicly, that people know that, okay, this person sold a painting for $50,000. Uh, there must be something special about this person. You know, and, and there's so many other factors that come into this, but, you know, naturally, of course, their artworks moving forward is going to be probably skyrocketing. And the same goes for NFTs as well. Right. So one of the things when I was doing, we were doing some research and listening and watching various things about NFTs, one of the things that sounded really interesting to me with the creator of the NFT can attach some sort of contract to it that when the item gets bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold every single time mm -hmm. they get a portion of that purchase price is that true and and is that one of the benefits that artists are now seeing with their artwork that especially it's digital that they may not have had with other art before because they couldn't basically say yeah. i should get a kickback from that because that was originally mine yeah, absolutely. You know, royalties do exist in the art world, but not in the same way as uh, it does in, in the NFT world. Yeah, it is true for most platforms, at least. Once you, one of your artworks sell, you get typically about like a 10% royalty from that. And so the more it sells, the more, the, obviously, the more uh, royalty that you receive in turn, which in itself is very exciting for artists as well. You know, it's very motivating to be able to create something and not only sell NFTs and make money, uh, you know, as, an, as a professional artist and whatnot, but also be able to continue receiving almost like a, a acknowledgement, a continued <laughs> acknowledgement each time. Like, you know, the people like that NFT and it's being constantly confirmed by these sales and you're receiving royalties each and every single time. So it's really nice. It's really cool, you know. And that's uh, that's another reason why I fell in love with NFTs. You know, it's not only the the digital art aspect of things, but also the kind of benefits that it offers for artists. When it, typically it's not really available most of the time, uh, unless you break into the art world and got lucky in some ways. Right. To me, it seems like it's it's almost uh, gratifying, but also financially rewarding to an artist because. You, once you put the piece of work out there and you sell it, let's say it's a physical piece of work and you put it out there and sell mm -hmm. it. And if there aren't those kind of royalty contracts built in, you may sell the piece for $5,000. But then three or four years from now, somebody sells it for a million and you're sitting there watching somebody buying your piece of work for a million dollars. You're not getting anything from it, right? So it's kind of like the Banksy effect. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. We've talked a lot about art, and I think the definition of artists could maybe expand here Beyond digital art, what, what other types of art are you seeing folks create NFTs for? Things like musicians or anyone else? Yeah, absolutely. I know that several companies are becoming early adopters 
uh, such as Pizza, uh, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and Pringles, where they're creating NFTs, uh, basically like animated uh, GIFs, and then selling them under their company just to explore, uh, which I think is great uh, to be an early adopter. It's, it's a risk, but it's like a, a really fun risk to take. Other things I've seen would include like domain names, you know, like it doesn't have to be images necessarily or animated images. It could be anything that could exist in a digital format like maybe essays. You can write poetry uh, and turn that into an NFT. Uh, there's sneakers. I know that uh, Nike has done something similar. Uh, another artist, his name is uh, RTFKTAI. <laughs> so, you know, they, so what he did was uh, he created these unique sneakers that's made from high quality materials, which is physical, right? So you'll receive the physical item, but at the same time, it's uh, digitally animated and augmented reality. And so uh, the buyer could essentially wear the, the shoe, not only physically in real life, but also like on Snapchat digitally, where you can see it on your feet, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and nobody else will have that augmented reality asset, just, just that one person who purchased it. And it's incredible to see what people are doing, you know, as far as NFTs, like it's, it's going beyond just imagery, you know, like, uh, like I said, domain names, essays, in-game items within the particular metaverse, oh, you know, that. like a second life. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. So there's digital collectibles such as like uh, CryptoPunks, and also uh, people and companies have uh, even the company I work for. They they explored using NFTs as a ticket, a way to gain access to particular events, or or maybe it's a coupon for like a huge discount or something. And that's something that maybe we would give to like a, a VIP client and whatnot. And so uh, there's a lot of things you can do with NFTs. It's not just bound to imagery per se. It's something, uh, it can be anything that can stimulate the senses, you know, in, in, in many other ways. It's really exciting to see. Yeah. One of the ones that I thought was really interesting that we saw when we were watching some information about NFTs was the DJ Blau. And how he he recently, I think it was, he he, he did something like thirty seven million dollars uh, in in twenty four hours. But what was really interesting is he was selling NFTs for some music, so only individuals who have the NFT are able to listen to that that music. But what was interesting is that he also said that anyone who buys the NFT will have access backstage access to one of his live shows so if you go to one of his live wow. shows and you have the nft you get backstage access just by purchasing the nft so i'd like this idea of that nfts are access or a product or something digital but also can provide so much more Exactly. And there's a lot of potential for not just artists to harness NFTs, but there's a lot of potential in uh, marketing for companies to utilize. And I can see I can see some really cool stuff coming out in, in terms of like offering NFTs to uh, the consumers, you know, and and knowing the value behind NFTs and hearing stories about how uh, people's uh, first 5000 days were sold and for how much. There's a lot of people who at least is aware of NFTs. They they understand that there's this um, there's this edge to it, you know. And so if companies start using it for like marketing reasons, I, I think that it would have a, a wide reach in an interesting way. 
And, you know, just to piggyback off of uh, what you said earlier, uh, when you asked that question in regards to other types of NFTs outside of imagery, you know, something came to mind. Uh, I know that like this would be a great example. Like Kings of Leon, I believe they're the first band to release an album as an NFT, you know, just to just to give that music aspect to the examples that I was listing off earlier. And so um, I just there's just so much huge potential when it comes to NFTs. And there's probably even more that people haven't even come up with yet. You know, I think there's a lot of room for that. And uh, there's a lot of innovation that uh, we haven't seen yet. Right. It, it does seem like we're out at the the, the cutting edge, the I don't want to say the final frontier because that doesn't make sense because it's going to go on. But <laughs> we're out way out there on the edge of the frontier when it comes to how NFTs are going to be used. And I think that's probably the reason why there's some so much hype around them and the the that people are investing in them because of the potential. They see potential. You know, I think if you you mm -hmm. go back in in stock trading days, you see potential in companies and that's when they their their stock price shoots up really fast. It doesn't necessarily mean that the potential is going to always be there. They may drop again, but I think we're kind of at that stage with NFTs. Yeah, I totally agree. There's been a lot of uh, talk in the community, in the NFT community specifically, about how to use NFTs, what they are, you know, uh, and thank goodness the community is strong, very robust, very kind, just from my experience alone. And so, and that's part of the reason why I got really familiar with NFTs is, you know, asking help from the community and asking other like-minded folks about their experiences in terms of NFTs. And the more people do that, the more ideas that would grow from it, you know, like uh, me hopping in and for Clubhouse, for example, which is an, a platform that's very popular right now with the NFT community. Um, I got to meet a lot of interesting people, you know, just by talking, <laughs> just by simply talking. And, uh, you know, people might like what I say. And therefore, because maybe they have like a studio space that uh, in their city that they want to elevate to a different level or, you know, in some way they want to collaborate. This kind of community really encourages uh, collaboration with NFTs, which is something uh, slightly different from regular art. I mean, I've collaborated with other artists and created a painting, yes, but it's not something that you see all the time. But with NFTs, I see it everywhere. I mean, like on Twitter, on Clubhouse, you know, Twitter is definitely a huge platform for NFTs in terms of community. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of idea exchanges happening. And I think that's great. We all learn from each other and gain ideas and ideas can be valuable, you know, and when you hear one particular idea, it might be, it might spark another idea within you. In terms of that, you know, like I, I totally see that a lot of people have already explored a, a, a vast amount of types of NFTs, right? But I can still see a little more potential there. I, I can see new things coming from that, uh, just from the exchange of ideas within the community. Absolutely. It all sounds very exciting. I guess one thing that I'm kind of confused with is I understand that the, the ability to trade using an NFT or trading an NFT, but if I own one, what exactly do I own? So, for example, there every time, every time, every almost every video you watch about NFTs, they've got the cats bouncing. Nyan cat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, someone can own that NFT or the original, but what's to prevent someone else from copying and pasting that on their social media account in some way, shape, or form? And that is an interesting question because that's a question that I have asked myself <laughs> in the past, you know, and it's, it's fair. It's a very fair question. You know, so 
people can argue that anyone could take a screenshot of an NFT in the marketplace. Like, let's say you're on OpenSea or something and you see an NFT that you really, really like and maybe you zoom in. <laughs> so then you can get the highest quality, highest resolution screenshot that you can. And so but the problem with that for that person, unfortunately, is that there's still no proof of ownership that's being validated by the marketplace itself, which in itself has huge value. And so, you know, you can, for example, you can Google one of Pollock's paintings, um, Jackson Pollock's paintings, and, you know, technically not own it, right? And so it's that concept of ownership that really cements the idea of owning this tangible NFT. It makes it tangible at that point. So if someone were to be caught using an NFT they didn't own, would that maybe possibly fall under sort of a copyright infringement? You know, there's a lot of gray areas when it comes to uh, copyright infringements, not only with the buyer or just any other people, but for artists, because there is artists out there maybe using um, graphics that are not in the public domain, for example, you know, and there's a lot of risks being taken. So it's hard for me to answer that question at the moment in terms of copyright laws, because I'm not too familiar in, uh, in, in the NFT world with that, especially, you know, giving anything like legal it's not a good look for one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the proof of ownership is available to everybody. Anybody can see it. And so, you know, whoever this person is that's like screenshotting things or stealing artwork or whatever, and then let's say they try to um, sell it on their own, you know, uh, they would probably be taken down pretty fast, if not by the platform, but by the people that visit it and, and notice it and see the fact that, hey, I recognize that artwork. That happens all the time, not even in the NFT world, but the physical art world, too. Like you'll see like tattoo artists, you know, Instagramming <laughs> other tattoo artists about their work, you know, things like that. Like people will try to steal artworks, you know, and, um, and claim ownership of it. But when it comes to NFTs, you really you really can't do that. Um, and even if you try to do it, you're still lacking that official ownership that's validated by the marketplace. And then on top of that, you're you're susceptible to the public, right. <laughs> basically, you know, coming after you, basically. So. I, that, the, as you're explaining it, it kind of makes sense to me. So all of the pictures that we use on our website at debtfreeguys.com, we either have to get approval from the person who owns that or we have to pay for that. There are a lot of pictures, obviously, that you can go to Google and, and just screen capture or, or download and use on your own content, but you don't have the authority to use that. And we know people who have gotten in trouble for doing that very thing, which is why we purchase ours or we get the rights from the owner. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I can see how that type of um, problem could really make an artist apprehensive, perhaps about releasing an NFT or, I mean, even a physical painting, who knows, but like, particularly with NFTs, what I would say to people, and, and this is a philosophy that I've myself have adopted, there's always going to be people that hate your artwork and love your artwork. And if they really love it, there might be a small chance that they might try to steal it. And of course, that's bad. Of course, that sucks. But when it comes to working with NFTs, it's like you have no fear. Yeah. You know, just you have no fear. And on top of that, I, I do see some artists putting like watermarks, for example, and that actually exists even in the, the physical art world, too, where like a photographer might put like their logo on the actual artwork, which me personally, I think that's a little distracting from the actual art piece. But it comes out of fear of somebody taking the artwork. And so, you know, it, as, as far as NFTs goes, I, I would just go for it. It's so fun, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially for 
this and not worry about those kinds of things. And if it does happen, you know, then the worst that will happen, honestly, like you, you might have to contact that person that stole your artwork. And most likely, they're probably going to take it down. And if they don't, you could report them. Right. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think as the we're in the wild, wild west right now with NFTs. And I, I think that as this world develops, there's going to be structure placed around it. And that's going to help both the owners and the artists, right? That's That structure is put into place to protect from these kinds of things that we're talking about from happening. And I think, yeah. to me, the the area where I personally see a lot of this happening at the, the kind of the, the initial groundwork of this kind of protection happening is as artists and owners of NFTs turn around and try to monetize them, right? So if you're the owner of the NFT, if you're the owner of a p particular piece of art, whether that's a video or digital art or a song, and you want to monetize it in some way, say, for example, it being used in a documentary or it being used in a commercial or it, it, a video that somebody else is creating, and they want to get access to that, I think that's where you'll start to see the structure being built around. It's just, it's kind of similar to back in the days of MP3s, right? When everybody was trading yeah. MP3s oh, yeah. for free on the internet. And then all of a sudden, the artists and the, the record companies said, time out, we got to build some structure around this that prevents that from, from happening as much as we possibly can. You just it's not it perfect, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, it's not the first time that we've been down this road. I mean, we all remember uh, AOL. Yeah. <laughs> and even even before that, right? Like along the way, uh, you know, there's been legislation even to uh, control certain aspects of the internet, you know, and so same goes for NFTs. Uh, there's going to be, there might be some legislation that comes out from this, you know, depending on what what's happening. You know, there's going to be some problems that um, artists and buyers will face that they're looking to solve, you know, and one of those things, for example, would be like the, and I think this, this is probably the biggest argument in a lot of people would be the ecological impacts. It's right now, it's actually being way more improved than ever before. But initially when NFTs came out, there was a huge concern on how much carbon footprint it leaves by mining these things, mining the Ethereum and minting the artwork into the blockchain. Right. It actually has a sort of like gas. Right. <laughs> it costs gas, right? And uh, they actually use that word and these fees that they charge people to mint the actual um, NFTs themselves. So, you know, with that said, over time, the, you know, people are going to find solutions to these issues where maybe they use solar energy. I have a friend actually looking into using solar energy as a means to mine for Bitcoins or minting NFTs and whatnot, you know, to really reduce that carbon footprint. Many of the platforms are already adopting that, you know, so it's really exciting. I, I, I believe that within the next year, uh, I, I read somewhere during my research that we should be like almost 99.8% good in terms of the ecological carbon footprint, you know, that comes from minting NFTs. Wow, that's such, you know, so so it, when I was doing research, I, I heard that term gas fee. And I, I kind of was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. And now that you've explained it, it makes sense to me that this is kind of this kind of additional fee that's added on to, to kind of replace the carbon footprint that these computers are basically using to create the blockchain and mine the blockchain and maintain the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for those of us who are 
the lay person, the not person involved, right? So mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not going to create an, well, at least I don't see myself creating an NFT anytime soon. But I'm also not the kind of person that can go drop $69 million on uh, Beeple's for 5,000 days, right? So how is this going to impact me? Well, in terms of like the financial barriers, for example, you know, being a queer person myself, currently uh, queer artists uh, are underrepresented. And what I mean by underrepresented is that um, their works aren't being as shown as much as perhaps uh, white males. And so, and that includes like a, a, a person of color as well too. With that said, you know, access to art, access to supplies, access to anything in, involving like creating NFTs is, could be harder for queer artists, you know, just because of the, uh, the fact that they're more underrepresented, you know, they, they have less access to certain things, you know, we all know that it's expensive to create a painting, for example. And um, when it comes to NFTs, there's the gas fees that I mentioned. Um, a lot of the platforms charge different types of gas fees. So there's no set amount, I guess, that I can share with you that uh, is cohesive with across all these platforms. But, you know, there's fortunately there is lots of ways to mitigate those gas fees, at least for now. Uh, and there's a lot of solutions out there already. I believe there's this blockchain called Wax, similar to Ethereum, where, you know, NFTs exist on the Ethereum blockchain, typically. But uh, Wax is a new type of blockchain that doesn't charge gas fees. So that's an option right there, you know, for for career artists like myself to be able to create without being stifled, you know, financially. And another way of doing this is like you can really get creative and, you know, have a narrative in your NFT collection, like perhaps your Genesis collection, which is like your first ever drop. You know, that in itself has an impact for people that comes across those uh, that collection and NFTs. And so, you know, creating a narrative that people can relate to and doing some kind of crowdfunding would be an awesome way to do it, um, a very brave way to do it. There's also grants for minting NFTs now, which is really exciting. I haven't pursued any myself yet, but I, I already see that there's some opportunities out there. If you just did a quick Google search, you know, depending on whatever their criteria are, then you, you would be able to see if you can get help in terms of uh, paying for these gas fees. Another example and final example would be like a magic minting via cargo. Cargo is a, a organization that works with NFTs and uh, they allow you to mint NFTs for a flat rate. Um, I believe it's $1.99 for, uh, for now, at least. But I mean, that that beats paying like $150 for one, <laughs> one NFT, you know, and, you know, places like OpenSea, for example, last time I checked, you pay the gas fees up front like once. And I think you pay a second one to confirm its existence on the blockchain. Uh, it's something like that. But initially, you have a fee, <laughs> the gas fee that you have to pay. And then from there, you don't have to pay anymore. I don't know if there's a limit to that. But I, what I would do, you know, honestly, when it comes to these financial barriers, is just to take agency and look for alternatives, look for solutions, explore all these platforms and what they have to offer. Uh, because there's a lot out there. Ever since the inception of like <laughs> NFTs, you know, and the popularity of it all, like there's been many that's popped up these days. I think that's what I love most about these discussions we've been having the last three weeks is the the veritable plethora of opportunities that seem to be out there for those who are willing to dig a little deeper, do a little research, and to some extent, take a little bit of risk. 
but there's but there's a lot more opportunity now that's not necessarily barricaded by the straight white male right. population. Right. Yeah, I, I love that you used uh, this this phrase "take the agency." Right. There's a lot of talk about jobs going away and jobs disappearing because of industries disappearing or or the changes in the way we interact as a society. Here, you're just basically pointing out that if you take a little bit of effort yourself, you can be at the forefront of this industry. And we know that people who stay at the forefront of an industry as it grows are more often not the individuals who see a lot of the financial benefit as that industry grows and develops. So do it, right? If you're exactly. if you're a queer artist or you're a queer creator, jump in and see if this is something. But it, yeah, I consider th- jumping I you, in. <laughs> yeah, I think you did point out that you do you do have to be a little cautious and you have to you have to do your homework, right? Don't don't dive in yep. uh, into the pool when it's not full of water yet, right? right? <laughs> well, so to that end, uh, so for any content creators who are listening to this episode uh, and they're and they're intrigued by what we've talked about with NFTs, is there anything that they should be concerned about with selling at NFTs for their their content or for their art? Well, you know, as far as as far as concerns when I'm creating NFTs and going into it, you know, I, I try to let those outside concerns just stay on the side for now and table it only because it can be distracting, you know, just like what I was talking about earlier with the fear of having somebody copy your artworks and whatnot, you know, just to put it off to the side for now, just do the art, (laughs) just do the art. That's the most important thing is the execution of an idea. And so as far as concerns go, you know, uh, it's definitely, like you said, do your homework because I mean, I, I would have never started creating NFTs without learning about what they are. I have to be able to understand my medium, you know, such as painting, even I have to know how to paint, right? I have to know how to use acrylic paint, how they dry, how fast they dry, you know, and, uh, and what colors change when it is dried and all that stuff, you know, like all those fundamentals, uh, definitely, you know, got to take the chance to take the opportunities that already exist out there practically on a silver platter, you know, by also joining communities, you know, such as Clubhouse, they're, they're an awesome one to join uh, Twitter as well. Clubhouse is probably the top one, in my opinion, in terms of connecting with like-minded folks to be able to assuage any other concerns that you might have, because there's a solution to almost everything for the most part, you know, outside outside of the things you can control, of course. But yeah, you know, it's, uh, right now, uh, like we were talking about earlier, it is the wild, wild west. And, you know, I think it's an exciting time to take advantage of the resources that is available out there. There's plenty of NFT artists that's willing to help other artists out. And I saw that firsthand, you know, in terms of like the queer community themselves, you can find other queer communities in working in NFTs on Clubhouse too. And maybe even Reddit too. I actually use Clubhouse primarily, but um, Reddit would definitely be another good option um, alongside with Twitter. And it's by me having, you know, having a sense of community for me has bolstered my confidence in the creation and NFTs and therefore having a less concerns in the first place, really. So, you know, there's not too much problems in terms of creating NFTs and putting it out there. There, You might come across other people that maybe might not know about NFTs, but they know enough that perhaps they heard that there's a carbon footprint or something. And you might have to explain to them, <laughs> you know, that, that there's already solutions to that, you know, like uh, 
people are aware, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know? And so I think it's, it's good to at least understand the concept of NFTs. So then you're able to explain that to other people who doesn't understand it as well as you do, because in my personal experience, some of my friends who didn't know what NFTs were at all, they just looked at me funny. You know, <laughs> I, I would show them the work and they would just think like, oh, it's digital art. And then, you know, and then I go into like the whole certificate of authenticity thing and the whole e economical benefits that come from that and, and within the community too, and the opportunities that it gives not only to the artist, but the buyers too. You know, it's a, it's a win-win situation in a way. That's, that's kind of how I see gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah, and I guess that kind of, we, we just covered kind of the th some of the things that the artist or the creator should be concerned about or, or un understand. What would you say for the other side, the investor, the individual who wants to go out and buy one of these maybe as a potential investment? Are there some things that you would guide them towards or suggest that they do as well? Yeah, you know, like the cool thing about being a buyer is like you have, you're put in a seat where you have the ability to financially support artists that you like, right, as a buyer. And so, you know, not only knowing that you would possess the basic rights to the image, for example, sharing it online, you would have that right uh, since you own it. But, uh, you know, you also get the bragging rights, of course, that that just kind of comes along, depending on the NFT and the artist, perhaps. But, you know, there's always some kind of bragging rights that come along with purchasing NFTs, considering the fact that it is the wild, wild west right now, you know. And so with that said, in terms of concerns, you know, like the only concern that I can think of as a buyer is definitely do your research on the artist, especially if it's a, a, a high amount. I would make sure I understand why it's a high amount take a look at that provenance, that history on the blockchain, which should be available on the, the page itself. And, you know, just really learn, you know, if you haven't, if you don't know art collecting already, definitely learn art collecting. It's it's like its own class in, in a way, you know, it's kind of like curating art, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds, just buying art, right? Like you're, you're selecting things and they're special. And so, you know, this new marketplace creates a better form of art collecting, which to me is also exciting, you know. And so with that said, you know, definitely take the time to learn about the artist. What other works have they done? What works have they done that's not involving NFTs even? There's a lot of artists out there that's in the queer community, queer artists right now that's considered pioneering in terms of the NFT world. One good example is Stuart Sanford. You know, he's He's a, I believe he's a photographer. He's already shown works all around the world and in museums and whatnot. But recently, it wasn't until recently that he got into the NFT himself. And I feel like, of course, his notoriety that existed already helped him get onboarded and then start selling NFTs and whatnot. But that's just one example that, you know, even the most professional artists out there are new to the scene themselves, right, right. <laughs> you know, so it, it kind of creates like, a, like a, an equal, uh, equal field for everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. We're not uh, art aficionados at all, but we met Stuart one time in New York. We have a friend who used to live in Denver and he dated Stuart for a while. And uh, oh, cool. and we were in New York for our friend's birthday and Stuart came out to meet uh, meet Mark for his birthday as well. And it was funny when you when you were uh, sharing some of your information before the inter interview, and I saw his name. I was like, "Yeah, I know that. I know who that person is, but not for that NFTs, so awesome. right?" So <laughs> it's it's interesting that you're 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 sharing that 
artists, some well-established artists are now creeping into this space, which I think gives it some validity, right? That uh, if if a well-established artist with all different kinds of backgrounds of painting, sculpting, all of that kind of art are also saying, hey, there's an opportunity for for me here too, that kind of does give it a little bit more validity. So... If anyone who's listening wants to connect with you, whether it's to see your NFTs or your art, or they want to connect with you in ways that they can understand it a little bit more and be a part of the community that you're talking about, how can our listeners contact you or connect with you, whether it's a website or social media? Where are you at? <laughs> so you can find me at J Pena Studio on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and OpenSea if you want to check out my NFTs. And the links will be in the, the notes as well. Uh, so it's, again, at jpena, J-P-E-N-A, studio, S-T-U-D-I-O. And I also have a website, of course, as www.jpenastudio.com. And uh, if you ever want to check out my gallery space that serves underrepresented artists in Seattle, uh, there's a link on the website as well. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll link up to all of that uh, in the show notes, folks. So if you want to explore more of uh, Julian's work or you want to connect with him, we'll have those links available for you on the De- on the Debt Free Guys website for this particular episode. Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. So, Julian, thank you for kind of opening a Pandora's box of <laughs> what the heck are NFTs, <laughs> right? Uh, I think I think I've <laughs> yeah. been seeing a lot of people use the phrase "WTF NFT" because <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so people are uh, are are curious about this. I think especially because of the high prices of recent investments in NFTs. But thank you again. We appreciate your great explanation and uh, look forward to seeing you kind of lead the charge for queer artists in this NFT space. Thank you, John, for giving me this opportunity to just chat about NFTs. You know, as much as I love it, it's something that's to be shared to the public for sure. And so, um, and I'm also excited to show a new collection of works coming in the next few months. So uh, definitely watch out for that. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash happy. Thank you, Julian, for educating us a bit about NFTs, how you're involved, and how they can be a tool for more queer artists. Whether you're a consumer of art or an investor, we hope this helps issue a further down the path of knowledge when it comes to NFTs. Here's your Queer Money takeaway for this week's show. If you're an artist curious about using NFTs, connect with Julian and his community to learn more so you can grow your income. If you're an investor, first, be cautious. Second, take time, as Julian said, to learn about artists and platforms that allow you to invest in NFTs. And finally, don't invest more than you're willing to lose, since NFTs are more risky because they are new and the market for them is unproven. But remember, where there's risk in investing, there's often big rewards. Thanks again for joining us on this three-part Money in Tech series. 
If you have more questions or would like to suggest similar show topics, join the Queer Money Facebook group. Join us next week when we talk to a lesbian couple about how they're turning their passion into wealth building. Have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.